Hello to all of our indie spirited listeners out there. I am Brooke Warner and I am here with my notably indie leaning co-host Grant Faulkner for this week's episode, which is in celebration of all things indie, which is something that we circle around from time to time as listeners know, because we've kind of got indie fever ourselves, I'd say. So Grant, this is an exciting week for us because we're talking with Andy Hunter, who's the founder and CEO of bookshop.org. And we're going to be focusing the episode a bit on why it matters to buy indie. And while I definitely have a broader and uh, more far-reaching ideas about buying on Amazon in general, uh, today I'm just going to rein myself in and only focus on books. And I truly hope that we'll come out of this episode having convinced listeners to buy indie. And that's just however you can. You know, it could be through your local bookstore. Lots of people don't have local bookstores, but it's important to remember that indie bookstores, a lot of them ship directly from all over the country, or of course, through Bookshop, which we're going to learn about a bit more today. So Grant, I'd love to start with a question. Where do you buy your indie books? Or where do you buy books? <laughs> <laughs> my indie books and my books. I hope they're all purchased at the same place. Um, I energetically try to buy my books in a, at an independent bookstore, actually in my neighborhood or my town if possible. And I feel very strongly about this because I feel like bookstores are such a crucial part of the fabric of a community. You know, they're, the, they're a place for dialogue and intellectual exploration and creativity and gathering and more. And I often quote Neil Gaiman, who said, a town isn't a town without a bookstore. It may call itself a town, but unless it's got a bookstore, it knows it's not fooling a soul. And I think that's such a good quote. It's very true for me. Um, just like you can tell who a person is by their shoes, as the saying goes, you can tell the character of a place by its bookstores. But it's tough to keep bookstores in business. You know, they run at very thin margins. So many of them have closed over the past, you know, five, 10 years, and especially during the pandemic. But I should say, you know, that they function as a primary way for people to learn about books and, and books that they actually might go and buy on Amazon or elsewhere online, in fact. And we saw this during the pandemic. Sales of new books went down as people bought more from the backlist. And that was largely because bookstores were closed. So people weren't discovering new books. And that's just one way that bookstores, I think, are the unsung heroes in building a world of readers. And frankly, I think we all need to support them more because the larger forces of the economy are squeezing them. Yeah, I agree, obviously. I mean, it's almost factual what you said. And it's important because we do run the risk of losing our bookstores. And we certainly don't want that. And of course, I mean, I've been in the book publishing industry for a long time. And so I've always felt strongly about buying from bookstores. But really, during the pandemic, I had a bit of a gut level come to Jesus moment about buying more generally on Amazon and certainly about buying books. You know, I mean, there would be a moment here or there where I would be like, oh, I'm just going to buy, uh, you know, something for James so that it comes tomorrow. Uh, but the pandemic shifted things for me to make a hard line to say, actually, never. Um, and the reason for that is is certainly that I came to a breaking point. Uh, I think that the treatment toward the workers and, you know, lots of the sort of gross growth that we saw over the months of the pandemic shifted my thinking about it and lots of people's, you know, and I want to note that criticizing Amazon or having a stance against Amazon is always complicated because 
if it weren't for Amazon, the self-publishing landscape would look quite different. You know, there's certainly a case to be made for the fact that they open doors to independently published authors. You know, I don't even know if I could have a publishing company if it weren't for Amazon. Then, you know, they give access of information to authors and they offer ad possibilities. And so people are making money from Amazon. So it's it is just true that they bring so much to the table and they're a monopoly, right? I mean, and monopolies are legitimately dangerous because they're putting other people out of business, often with little regard, and it's always in the name of competition and capitalism. And so, you know, we should all have thoughts and feelings about that. And, you know, certainly where Amazon is threatening bookstores, we should have thoughts and feelings about that because nobody dislikes a bookstore and everybody wants to have a bookstore closer to them if possible. So if there's a logical takeaway here, you know, I guess it's that, you know, if you love bookstores, then you want to uh, support a thriving ecosystem, then it is important to come to terms with the inherent contradiction that exists if you keep buying books on Amazon. Yeah, it seems like a simple equation, but it's it's also definitely something for a reader and a writer to reckon with. It's interesting for me, I guess, because I know also know so many people, you know, good literary stewards even who buy books on Amazon and who even might want their readers to buy on Amazon because Amazon has pretty strict policies about who can review books on their platform. And if you're a verified buyer, you can leave reviews. I know many authors who are conflicted about publishing their books on Amazon because, you know, I think Andy said six of 10 books uh, are purchased on Amazon now and they're, they're well on their way. Soon it will be eight of 10 books uh, published will be purchased on Amazon. So it's, re it's reality of publishing and selling books. So it's nearly impossible for authors to opt out of Amazon. Brick, I'm just curious as a publisher, you sell uh, all your books on Amazon. So I guess my question is this, how, how do we literary stewards and defenders of indie publishing reconcile all of this? Yeah, I mean, the whole case that you laid out uh, makes sense. It's important. And it speaks to how pervasive Amazon is, and also how integral it's made itself. Um, I mean, I would never recommend to any author that they not put their book up on Amazon, because I also believe that consumers need to be able to buy wherever they're going to buy. It's not my place to mandate that. I can educate and I can state my feelings, but that's about as far as I would go. You know, as an author and as a publisher, for that matter, if you take such a strong stance against them as to shut off the entire channel, then you wouldn't have any profits. I mean, we sell probably about 50% of our books on Amazon. And so that's a huge amount. But then the thing that I'm really uncomfortable with is this larger social situation that's playing out, which has to do with the effects of a juggernaut like Amazon and its low prices and its convenience and its speed, you know, all these things that it's capable of doing uh, because of its omnipresence in our lives makes it super hard to resist, you know, so much so that resisting buying from Amazon actually becomes an act of resistance in and of itself, you know. So, of course, like anyone listening, you have to ask yourself, what would be the reasons you might not order from Amazon? Uh, and again, I just want to speak to books for now. You know, my reasons include the fact that they're, in fact, pretty anti-publisher. So that's an easy one for me since I'm a publisher. Um, you know, from a personal standpoint, there are things that make it difficult for me to support my authors on their platform because they're very author friendly. So there's that. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're publisher friendly. So it kind of creates a disconnect between publishers and their authors sometimes. The other thing I dislike is 
their desire and pressure to keep prices really low. They demand very high percentages from authors. And I'm not allowed to disclose our terms with Amazon. That's certainly their right and part of their mandate, but um, they do demand higher percentages than bookstores. So when we're selling a book at $15 to $17 per unit and Amazon is taking such a big cut and then they're selling books to online consumers at $11 to $13, I think that that promotes a perception that books are and should be cheap. And with inflation and the cost of paper going up and the cost of shipping going up, I think we need to be doing the opposite, right? Which is creating a perception that books should be more valued. (laughs) And I do mean monetarily, which speaks to Andy Hunter's mission uh, and our show title, which is helping books remain a vital part of our culture. So Grant, I'm curious, what other ways come to mind for you beyond buying habits about how we can keep book culture remaining or books rather remaining a vital part of our culture? And do you think there's any threats to books being a vital part of our culture in this moment? I I hope not, but there are threats, unfortunately. And when we talk to Andy, uh, as as listeners will hear, I like that he used the word ecosystem because I think that's the perfect way to to think of the writing and the reading world and all the different players involved. And beyond Amazon, you know, becoming more and more of a monopoly, which is obviously true, I see large publishers as being somewhat problematic in not taking on the role of, of nourishing that ecosystem. And I, and I am talking about large publishers specifically, not small publishers. I mean, large publishers, you know, they have a lot of problematic aspects to them. They, they are increasingly, you know, provincial and celebrity kind of driven and uh, very focused on, on tend to be New York City authors and MFA programs, and they can be very clicky and limited in the types of books and authors they publish. And it's increasingly harder uh, harder and harder for an outsider to break in. Authors usually earn minimum wage or less for their books. And then, you know, in the end, this is the thing that kind of rankles me is that large publishers tend to do very little to create a community of readers. You know, they rely on bookstores and libraries and schools and nonprofits like NaNoWriMo and small publishers to do this kind of nourishment of the overall reading community, that ecosystem. And I don't want to go on a rant, but it's really disturbing to see the pittance of philanthropic dollars that major publishers give to nourishing the reading and writing ecosystems. And and they are making money. You know, sometimes I think they they pretend that they're not. But last year, Simon & Schuster's income went up 51% and Hachette's was up 42.7%. So I'd love it if they decided to increase funding of the writing and reading ecosystem at the same rate as those returns. But I just don't see it happening. I don't see many philanthropic dollars going into into the community or even much support for for indie bookstores themselves. So, you know, I think one way to, to fight this threat, as I see it, because the ecosystem is becoming less diverse in many ways, which is bad for any ecosystem, is you know um, not just shopping at indie bookstores, but buying from indie presses and seeking out different voices because a lot of those different voices still aren't getting published or not getting marketed or seen as well. So you know what's validating to me though is that there is a huge grassroots energy of writers and readers, and it's such a force. And I, I love how you know I just walked into a bookstore. And I'm not on TikTok to tell you the truth, but they had a section dedicated to book talk books. And it, I, I like uh, book talk on TikTok because teens are actually driving book conversations and, you know, what's getting bought in unprecedented ways. And I think it's so cool and so authentic. So I'd love to see a movement to to undercut a lot of these negative parts of the book ecosystem kind of led through these organic systems like TikTok. Um, so let's all 
all by indie in other words uh meaning the stores the physical stores in our towns which can they can all order books for you by the way and then you know search out books that don't have a huge marketing budget because i guarantee you'll find some amazing treasures published by smaller publishers yeah that's so well said grant and i don't think very many people make that connection or maybe even know how little big publishing invests in a thriving ecosystem. And I guess it could be argued that it's not really in their interest. You know, they're out for their own books and their own sales rather than creating community per se. But there's some certainly something to be said about how much better they could be. Uh, and this is what I love about what Andy is creating through Bookshop because it is community focused and there is a real sense of solidarity there, uh, which we'll hear him speak about uh, in the interview that's coming up and then um, supporting uh, the fabric that connects readers and authors and writers, because we are all the heartbeat of a th thriving book culture that you're talking about. Yeah, ex I think that's it, Brooke, is that we all are the heartbeat of a thriving book culture. And, and sometimes, you know, e even though it might not seem an interest of big publishers, it actually is because they're part of the ecosystem and they're taking advantage of the ecosystem. So that's just one reason I admire Bookshot org you know when i don't buy my books from an indie bookstore i tend to buy them on bookshop.org and they have this list feature that's really cool so i have a bookshop on bookshop.org that different lists for different kind of categories of books and, and nanowrimo also has lists as well and they're super fun a lot of organizations have them and individual authors but brooke i just realized that that maybe not everybody listening uh, knows what bookshop.org is. So I just want to tell people just briefly that it's an online bookstore with an indie bent. And notably, I believe 10% of each sale goes to support indie bookstores, uh, which make it a cool way to shop online while also supporting an individual store or indie bookstores in general. Brooke, I know you've bought a lot of books on bookshop.org in the past years. So what's what's that experience been like? Yeah, it's been good. You know, it's just more expensive and a little slower. And there's just no two ways around that. You know, the last time I ordered a book on Bookshop, a friend and I ordered our books on the same day because we were going to read it together. And she ordered from Amazon and literally got it the next day. And I ordered from Bookshop and then I got it a full week later. That said, it felt worth it, you know, and I'm happy to pay more because I know I'm supporting indie publishing. But not everybody is buying with that kind of social consciousness. I mean, sometimes it takes a minute to get there. And I confess it took me a while to get there. You know, for a lot of time, I was like resisting, but still occasionally buying that book on Amazon because I wanted it fast. And then I would feel guilty about it. I know a lot of people will resonate with this. But I think we can retrain our minds and hearts to pay the few dollars more. That's my experience and my pitch. You know, I'm a fan of Bookshop. Um, and as such, I went into this interview with Andy with uh, a lot of enthusiasm and gratitude for what he's doing and the role he's playing to make sure that we continue to have these buying alternatives. So with that said, we'll be back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We are very thrilled to be joined today by Andy Hunter, who is the founder and CEO of Bookshop.org, an initiative dedicated to increasing the e-commerce market share and sustainability of independent local bookstores. He is also the co-creator and publisher of the website's Literary Hub, Crime Reads, and Bookmarks, and the co-founder and chairman of Electric Literature. His focus is helping books remain a vital part of our culture in the digital age. I love that focus, Andy. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. I want to start with the obvious, um, which is that founding something like Bookshop is ambitious, to say the least. So could you tell us a little about the founding story and how it came to be that you founded an online bookstore in the first place? 
Yeah. Well, it basically came out of me watching with some dread and trepidation as Amazon slowly kind of ate the entire book world over the past 12 years. I started Electric Literature in 2009. And sometime around 2011, I had the idea of creating an independent version of Amazon, one that focused on indie presses, one that was um, you know, ethical and hopefully more sustainable. And I originally tried to get nonprofit funding for it. My thought was that it was going to be a nonprofit enterprise. I would try to get the Ford Foundation or the Mellon Foundation or the Rockefellers or somebody to try to try to put a grant in place to pay for it. And that went nowhere. That was around 2011. Nobody was interested in funding a nonprofit e-commerce platform. And nobody really saw any danger that Amazon was going to be a big problem in the future. And then, you know, eight years later, Amazon was selling around 50% of books in the US. And they were growing at such a rate that I realized that they're going to be selling eight out of every 10 books by 2025, 2026. And I felt like, God, you know, somebody has to do something about this because all the bookstores are going to go out of business. All the publishers are going to be working for Amazon. All the authors are going to be effectively just creating content for Amazon to sell. And books are a precious thing that are more than just a product. They are the culmination of like all of humanity's ideas, um, philosophies, um, history, our, you know, creativity. That's all part of what books are. And it's so it's too important to trust to any individual for-profit corporation. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to create something that would diversify things or strengthen the diversity that we already have. That's such an amazing story, Andy. And, and you're also the publisher of, of Lit Hub and its affiliated sites, Bookmarks and Crime Reads and the, the co-founder of Electric Lit. And until earlier this year, where you were also the publisher of Catapult. So that is a whole lot of things <laughs> to be a founder of or involved in. So I was wondering if you could talk about the intersection of these roles and how Bookshop might have been born from these various positions you've held in the publishing industry. Yeah, I got into digital publishing because I didn't have the resources to get into book publishing. You know, I was an outsider for whatever reason. I never even really occurred to me to kind of like try to get into publishing by simply applying for a job at Penguin Random House or whatever. I like starting my own things. And so I started Electric Lit in 2009 and I really wanted to publish books, but ebooks were really much more economical and print on demand was more economical and creating a website had the ability to reach thousands and thousands of readers without costing any more money than printing, you know, a hundred books. So electric lit was successful partially because we were optimistic. We were doing things that were new at the time, embracing social media um, and embracing digital distribution in a way that, the literary world really wasn't back then. Um, and that opened up other doors for me. You know, Electric Lit came to the attention of Morgan Enterkin, who ran Grove Atlantic Press, and he wanted to launch Literary Hub. So he met with us to kind of pick our brains and talk things through. And we realized that we could collaborate on it. It seemed like a great idea. Lit Hub brought together over 200 different literary magazines and websites about books um, and brought their content 
into a single place where people who are involved in the culture could find it and and read it all in one place, which I think was really important because there was great content being creative, but it was all over the internet. And we brought it into one place where it could get a larger audience. And LitHub's success and Electric Lit success also paved the way for me to start publishing books with Catapult because I had at that point executed enough and gotten enough large audiences that publishers wanted to work with me and people wanted to hire me, you know? So, so that also, you know, went pretty well. Catapult made a big impact. And then Bookshop, as I explained, I created because I felt like there needed to be something offsetting Amazon that was more independent and supported the values and culture of people who love books like me. And so they all sort of came from each other, but it's more like the success of each one opened doors and helped me build relationships that allowed me to, to move on to the next thing. That sounds about right. Just how the book publishing industry works. And um, I, I love that you worked with Morgan because I'm a, a big fan mm -hmm. of his and his press. And so uh, a common theme of your work and maybe connection there too is bringing attention to and advocating for literary writing. And literary is complicated because literary insiders know that literary writing typically means elevated. Oftentimes it's thought of like better writing, but then literary writing doesn't necessarily sell as well as other kinds of non-literary works. And so lots of people, of course, are pushing for commercial or other genres. So could you talk to us a bit about your take on what qualifies work as literary and why literary writing might need a platform all its own and why it needs advocating for? It's a really complicated question in a way, because I do think that literary writing is a thing, but I also am really not a fan of the snobbery that sometimes goes around with it. And I, I, I am equally in favor of genre writing, um, all kinds of writing that is different, that is a personal expression and that brings people on adventures or gets them interested in reading. Like I'm, I'm for all of it. And so to the, to the extent that there is a little bit of a snob element of literary writing versus genre writing, I'm, I'm not a fan of that dichotomy at all. But with that said, I think like poetry, literary reading is a smaller audience. I think that there maybe are 40,000 dedicated literary readers who buy a lot of books in the country and then maybe about 200,000 that are dipping in and out. And how do you express literary, like literary versus non-literary? Literary is generally less plot-driven. It's generally um, more involved in character and um, sometimes more involved in the world of ideas and also more interested in language. So it's not just like out to tell a story. Ideally, it's kind of probing the human condition and it's playing around with language and it's playing with character and, in, and investigating character in a way that doesn't necessarily think about telling a story or keeping a reader hooked from chapter to chapter in the same way that traditional genre or popular books are. Well, Andy, you've been called one of the most ambitious and eclectic personalities in the publishing industry. And given that description, can you tell us more about your origin story? And I'm thinking before Electric Lit, um, I'm particularly curious, were you a writer? Or did you want to be a writer? Or were you always more interested in publishing itself? 
Um, actually, this whole thing is procrastination. Everything I've ever built from electric literature on is just procrastinating writing a novel. Mm-hmm. And I've very successfully made myself way too busy to ever have time to write. But yeah, I mean, going really far back, I don't want to get too personal, but I had like many people that love books and gravitated towards books, a little bit of a difficult childhood. My mother was mentally ill. She was a single mom. I, you know, was kind of a mess. And I spent a lot of more time with books than um, with other people. And, you know, books and animals were my jam. And in many ways, I felt later on that the books really saved my life. And it took me a long time to get to the point where I felt like, well, I can help return the favor by spending most of my time and most of my energy on working to preserve books' importance as a cultural phenomenon, the the importance of books to other people, to make sure that they can do the same thing for new young people as they did for me. And it just in this day and age, you know, there's so much competing for our attention. And so many of the things that are competing for attention don't really feel psychologically healthy. They don't really seem to be pushing humanity forward. They're generally engineered by people who are Silicon Valley trained people who are aware of like human psychology and reward driven behaviors that don't actually end up um, creating like a more rewarding or complex or nuanced life or mindset and books do all that. So being able to work in books and specifically work to advocate for books and do it in a playing field that everybody is already engaged in, like the culture about 10 years ago, our culture really became digital culture. And so what I found in 2009 is that a lot of literary people didn't want to engage with digital culture at all. They didn't, they looked upon it all as a threat. They thought that um, there weren't going to be any serious readers of the novel. That's what Philip Roth said um, 10 years ago. He said that in 20 years, there were going to be no serious novel readers. Um, So there was a lot of doom, a lot of anxiety and a lot of um, kind of shutting themselves off from the digital world. And I felt like, well, you have to engage there because that's where people are and that's where new readers are. And we need to make it exciting. We need to advocate for writing and the kind of writing that we love in the digital sphere. We can't ignore it. And so that's what I've been trying to do ever since, you know, in between being a child who loved books and launching Electric Lit, I basically did random jobs. I mean, I was first, I was in IT and I was in software development and e-commerce for big corporations. And then I quit that and started working on independent magazines. Um, And then fortunately, all those skills come in handy now. Like I know how to code, but I also understand the book world and I understand publishing and I understand media. So all these, I kind of did sort of random career stuff before but it all ended up um, being useful in some way when I tried to tie it all together and the things I do now. 
Well, thanks for that, Andy. And um, I have a kind of a personal question from as from the wearing a publisher's hat, because we are always trying to get our authors to make sure to post links to bookshop on their sites. And of course, sometimes people are coming back and saying, well, what about IndieBound? And I know that now if you go to IndieBound, the buy links are bookshop links. And so is IndieBound still a thing? And was this a merger? I'm, I'm curious if you could answer the question of the role of the two entities. Well, the, the inside story is that when we first partnered with the American Bookseller Association um, on Bookshop, we were going to redirect all the IndieBound links to Bookshop. But when Bookshop launched in 2020, there was a lot of anxiety because of the pandemic. And a lot of stores were going through financial crises and people in general were on edge. And it just seemed like a bad idea to take IndieBound away and to tell everybody to link to Bookshop at that time. We still might do it, but at that time we decided, hey, it's better to leave IndieBound and have Bookshop also be there and integrate the two so that we have less disruption for booksellers right now. So frankly, like we're partners with the ABA, the ABA run IndieBound. The ABA are also investors in bookshops. So we're all like one happy family. We're all both effective ways to support independent bookstores. And we might still um, join the two sometime in the future. Well, Andy, on that note, I'm curious if you could tell us what the impact, I mean, when I remember when bookshop.org launched and, and it was so, Readers and writers like me, I think, were so gratified to have an alternative and to be able to shop for books online and support indie bookstores. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what, what has the impact been or have you seen a, a significant impact? Yeah, well, it's been great. I mean, we hit 20 million earned for U.S. bookstores on Sunday. And so we were celebrating that, that this week. $20 million in two years is a lot better than I thought we would do. And I think a lot better than anyone thought we would do. Um, my goal originally was to bring about $6 million a year into the independent bookstore community. So we've well outpaced that. And the result on the ground is we've got so many stores that reach out to us that tell us how they wouldn't have made it through the pandemic if we hadn't been around for about 400 stores. We are the only way they sell books online. So we've unlocked e-commerce for them. They never had the time or the means to do it before. And now it's a sustaining part of their business. In the UK, where we launched in November of 2020, we've earned about 3 million pounds for bookstores. Um, so over and all, it's been incredibly gratifying and well worth the effort because these stores, some of the stores are decades old in the UK. Some of the stores are a hundred years old. And the fact that we have helped them stay afloat during the pandemic has been massive. The question is like, where do we go from here? Now that we've hit all of our initial goals, then I start to think about how we can really fundamentally change the ecosystem because like, even at the level of that we're doing right now, it's, it's a great thing for smaller stores, but Amazon is still by far the largest retailer for books. They're still growing. They're probably selling six out of every 10 books in the U.S. right now. And they're probably still on track to sell eight out of every 10 books in 2026. And some, you know, some people still love Amazon. They love the fact that they're cheap and that they get their books to them quickly. But I would say that anybody that cares about books 
even if you think Amazon is like a good service or your prime member or whatever, you can acknowledge that putting our entire book culture in the hands of a single profit driven corporation that really doesn't care about books. They care about profits and they care about, you know, kind of world domination at this point. Um, and to, we shouldn't trust them with something as precious as the book industry and authors shouldn't put all their eggs in one basket. Publishers should not put all their eggs in one basket to have a diverse ecosystem means that more books will flourish. More different kinds of authors will flourish. More genres will flourish. You won't have all the control in the hands of one company. So getting from where we are to a place where we're really making industry-wide change that's substantial and that makes book selling a very viable profession and really keeps things more diverse um, is I think the next stage. And I think to get there, we have to grow like five times from where we are now. We need to convince all major media outlets to link to us instead of Amazon. We need to have more authors feature us on their websites or when authors publish books to use bookshop links on social media. Um, we need to educate consumers. We need to get more people who are on TikTok to understand what bookshop is. We need to get more like older readers um, who are kind of set in their ways to understand what bookshop is. And we need to kind of keep pressing the case and not rest on our laurels. My goodness, you have your work cut out for you, Andy. And I hope we can do a small part here by encouraging our listeners to always buy on bookshop or to buy indie. Uh, so thank you. Thanks for the work you're doing. Thanks so much, Andy. Thank you. We'll be right back with today's book trend. Well, Grant, today's book trend is actually Amazon ads. It feels appropriate to have an Amazon trend on an episode that was so much about Amazon, or in this case, an alternative to Amazon. Uh, but this trend is that Amazon has now opened its advertising portals to all authors and not just self-published authors, which was the case prior to that. And this is kind of a big deal because until now, publishers had to manage Amazon ads for their authors and only self-published authors could manage their own ads directly. For me as a publisher, this change has been a big relief because I have so many authors who want to run their own ads and I'm really happy that they finally can. Yeah, I didn't realize what a big deal this was until I read Jane Friedman's recent hot sheet and noticed you were quoted, Brooke, so congratulations. Another thing I didn't realize was the degree to which Amazon ads seem to exist to provide a level playing field for self-published authors. Basically, it's a tool for visibility that hopefully translates into sales, but the return on investment is somewhat, well, you know, unlikely. It seems like a lot of authors do Amazon ads to break even. So I was wondering, is that your experience, Brooke? Yeah, I mean, it is. I know there are a lot of authors and publishers out there who are making money, um, you know, which like selling enough books to clear the ad costs. But the crazy thing about book publishing is that there really are a lot of incentives for authors just to break even. You know, having a lot of sales is a good thing in publishing because it gives you bragging rights and it can get you on bestseller lists and it gives you higher Amazon rankings and it increases your book scan numbers, which translate into a traditional 
additional deal on your next book. So plenty of authors are willing to break even or even run losses on Amazon ads as long as they're selling more books. And so, you know, here's Amazon again, I guess, kudos, figuring out ways for authors to spend tons of money, you know, just to get more visibility. And, you know, certainly it's not unethical or wrong or even surprising. It's just Amazon doing what Amazon does. Yeah. Have your authors had positive experiences with Amazon ads? Uh, yeah, you know, positive is interesting. I think that they have largely broken even, you know, and that that's about the best they can expect. So I'm eager to see what happens with the savvier authors, because the reason I'm excited that Amazon is opening its back end portal to all authors is because I think you can make money if you stick to your dashboard like glue, you know, like making it a full time job, tracking, tweaking your keywords, adjusting your campaigns. But few authors really have that kind of attention for their ads. Um, certainly, I think some of ours might. And so I'll be looking forward to seeing what happens when they get to run the campaign by themselves and see if they actually make some money. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I have to say, this is the moment of the conversation when I hear words like analytics, dashboards, keywords, campaigns. Uh, <laughs> when I, you know, I actually truly admire the indie authors who know this side of the business and do it so well. I recently visited um, with a writer's group of indie romance authors and I expected the talk of the group to be all about writing, craft, and process, but I felt like I'd walked into a high-powered digital marketing meeting with analytics and advised time to the hour being discussed. So I guess that might be my final word to, to learn how this all works and what it can do for you before taking a gambler's approach with your money. Well, speaking of analytics, I guess uh, one place that we do somewhat check our analytics grant is on our own dashboards to see if our listenership is going up and you guys are helping us with that. Thank you for being our listeners and for contributing to those numbers. Spread the word because we are a weekly podcast. We're super grateful for you all and we will be back next week with a new episode. 